It is so good to be here. Gina and I have been looking forward to this uh, for quite some time now. Uh, we have some connections in Austin. Our son-in-law, uh, one of our son-in-laws, uh, grew up at the Westover Hills Church of Christ, which we found out that it has a direct lineage from the U of A. Uh, that, I guess that makes us related, right? So uh, I just want to introduce a little bit about us uh, uh, so you get to know us. I grew up in Seattle, Washington. That's where I was born. And then family moved to Tacoma and went to school then at Harding University because my mother was from Arkansas. Now, if she'd been from Texas, it probably would have gone somewhere else. But she was from Arkansas, so I uh, went to Harding University. Gina and I met, uh, met there. Then we went to Africa. We uh, worked 10 years in Kenya planting churches, uh, doing leadership development, uh, a lot of physical development pieces. Just a formative time in our lives as we began to see more clearly how God works in the world around us. It was an amazing time. And our family has been shaped through those mission years in Kenya. When we came back, we went to Lubbock, Texas. I was teaching at Lubbock Christian University. And then we got a call from God to go again to another place. So a bit of a second call in our lives to go to Portland, Oregon and to work with the Oklahoma Christian University as they started Cascade College on the site of what was Columbia Christian College. Columbia had been there since the 1950s, deeply influencing the churches of Christ on the West Coast. And they got to a point where they couldn't sustain themselves. So Oklahoma Christian put Cascade College up there. And uh, we worked there for eight years. And then a, another call from God came into our life. It is amazing to see God's calls as, as they come to us. Sometimes those calls are, uh, they may be a bit of a preference point. At other times, they are, are that very specific call. This was very specific. It was to help our fellowship of Churches of Christ, our family heritage, to do again what we have done so well in the past. And we, I don't know if you know this, uh, there are only four other Christian groups in America that have more congregations in America than we do as Churches of Christ. That's an amazing spread, an amazing number of churches. And what it means is there have been two periods in our fellowship when we have been absolutely engaged in spreading the word of God through the starting of new congregations that gather new believers together. And we're at a point where we have a new millennium stretching in front of us where that same kind of activity needs to happen. And so that's when God was calling us to uh, Kairos Church Planting to do what we've been doing through the years, but to do it more specifically here in the U.S. So the last 12, 13 years, that's what we've been engaged with, particularly on the West Coast and then on the East Coast. Uh, we've been helping new churches plant uh, in our fellowship and looking for those pioneering apostolic uh, younger couples who have that gifting and call of God in their hearts. So that's a, a little bit about, uh, about who we are. And for us to be here on this side is, is just a, um, an invigorating piece. 
Because here you stand at the gateway to the University of Texas on one side, and on the other side is that deep influencing place of the capital of Texas and so much of our world and our country is influenced through those two gateways. And here God has put you as a church to stand at that gateway, to be a people who portray the presence and the power of God to the people who come to this university and to this place. It's one of those points of leverage. It's one of those places where there is uh, the leverage of power and of presence that goes with it. And you have been placed here by the hand of God and served here for a hundred years. And for us to be able to be here and to come alongside of you for a period of time and to walk with you in a journey is a, a tremendous honor to us. We're thankful for it. So today I want us to think in that terms of journey and call. Journey and call. Have you ever been on a, looking forward to a vacation? Some people take a vacation like this. They get up and say, let's go do something. And they hop in the car and the way they go and it's a little bit like that Chevy Chase movie called Vacation and they're just on the road and things are going. And other people want to know exactly where am I going to go and how long is it going to take to get there and then where are we going to stay and where are we going to eat and how much is it going to cost and everything gets planned out. And so vacations, those journeys take different uh, expressions amongst each of us. I think for Gina and I, we're a little bit in the middle of that. We, uh, we like to plan, but we also like to have that bit of a, a free spirit. But what we have found is that planning allows us to know and experience better what God has in store for us. And so for this next year, Gene and I are going to be working with you to help plan and carry out a plan to see where God wants to take this church in that next hundred years. So this yesterday, that's what we were doing. We were meeting with, uh, with your leadership group and wives and thinking and dreaming and talking and, and looking together at what God has been doing here and what potentially God may do in the future. So that's what's going on and we want to make sure that you're very much a part of, of that. In that piece of scripture that we read about Abraham and his call, Abraham is going on a journey. And that journey, though, is not just a journey of place. It's a journey of a lifetime. Abraham isn't called just to go to the land of Canaan and to sit there and say, hey, I made it, this is a good place. Abraham is called to go on a lifelong journey. And as we think of the University Avenue Church going on God's journey, what I want you to begin to think of yourselves as is faithful doers. Faithful doers. But keep that idea in mind. We'll keep bringing that up. Faithful doers. Faithful meaning we're going to be persistent. And doers meaning we're going to be active. So when we go on a journey as Abraham himself is called on that journey of, of God, what oftentimes we, we miss is that that journey had already started in his life. See, his father, T, 
Thyatira had somehow understood that he was to move from the city called Ur over there in the ancient Near East and go a pretty long distance that way to a place called Haran. And at Haran he stopped. And I don't know why he stopped. The scripture doesn't tell us that. It just says that they settled there and Tira died when he was 205 years old. Well, maybe he got too old. Maybe it was just a comfortable place. We don't know. But what we know is that Tira's faith had originally called him to pull up the tent pegs and to start traveling and to, until he got as far as he could actually go. And then Abraham gets that call. But see, Abraham already has a faith example in front of him with his father. But now when that call comes to Abraham, it puts him in a bit of a bind because now he has to leave his father behind. He has to leave that place where his family burial plot has been purchased. He has to leave it behind. And in that family burial plot, there, there are just the memories of who, uh, who am I? I am Tira's son. And the, the Jewish people, they loved to go back and count the family line. And Abraham could recite that family line that Tira was my father. And then it went back to here and back to here and back to here and back to here. And all that, he's probably beginning to think, God, are you certain? Do I really need to take this journey? But somehow as a faithful doer, Abraham says, yeah, that is the journey that I'm on. And so he pulls up the tent pegs. And he starts out. He makes a move. That's the first thing that faithful doers do is they move. They don't stay where they're at. They move and go where God is showing them to go. But you know the problem with pulling up those tent pegs is that pulls up safety and security and identity. And those are hard things to think about leaving behind us. A journey is not always a safe thing to do. And if we want real safety and security, we stay where we are because we know that place well. When you travel, you get to that, first, that wherever you're spending the night and everything is new, right? You don't know where the light switches are. Gene and I were in the room last night trying to figure out how do I close, turn off the closet light here? And we're looking for light switches, and then I close the door, and I think, oh yeah, there it is, right there. But you just don't know those things. You have to figure them out. You have to, to become comfortable again. And every night that you move, you lose a bit of safety, and you lose a bit of security, and you have to reestablish it every day. Oh, I'll tell you what, we had the best room in the hotel last night wasn't, I'm sure, their most fancy room, but when we looked out one window, we looked over this campus, and we could pray over you as a church. And then we could turn to our left and look out over the, uh, the University of, Tennessee, of uh, Texas. You see where I'm at here. University of Texas, and pray over the University of Texas. And we have done that multiple times a day. Just look out and pray. I don't think there's a better room in, in, in that hotel. So thank you for that gift, and, and we have just so enjoyed it. But when you go on a journey, every time you make the move, security and safety 
and that identity begins to change. But the good side of journey is you get to see new things. You get to experience new experiences. And as Abraham journeys, what he understands eventually, and it takes him a while, is he is experiencing God on the journey. He's experiencing the way God works and what God has already done in front of him in order to to gain a deeper sense and trust of what God is about. And that leads to the the second uh, learning of people who journey is they watch the signs. As God works upstream from us, as God works ahead of us, he always leaves signs that say he was here. But it takes an experienced journeyer to begin to read the signs well because those signs are oftentimes very confusing. So as Abraham is on his journey, as scripture takes us there, he, he gets to Canaan very quickly. He gets to the land of promise very quickly. But the, later on in the New Testament, there's a writer who wrote a book called Hebrews who says that Abraham never did live in a settled place. That he always lived in tents. And when you live in tents, whenever you move the tent, what do you do? You pull up the tent peg, right? And you put the tent peg in the bag, and you put the tent in the bag, and you leave security and safety and identity behind to go on that journey. And as Abraham lives a life on journey, three signs come his way. The first one is Egypt. He said, Egypt, how in the world did that get there? There's a famine in the land and Abraham moves from Canaan down south to Egypt where there's food and all sorts of things happen to him. And you've got to imagine that Abraham is saying, God, why Egypt? God doesn't tell him, but what we know later is that Abraham's family is going to live 400 years in Egypt. How do you live in the land of Egypt? Well, you go and look back at your family. Your family helps you learn how to do that. The people of Israel, as they spend 400 years in Egypt, oftentimes a very difficult experience, they can say, well, why are we here? Because our father Abraham was here also. And Abraham's family begins to find in his personal journey a sense of identity of who they are. Oh, we're a people who know how to journey. Our father has done this before. Others have done this before. We're not doing anything that is not thoughtful and cared about. And so Egypt becomes that place where the people learn. And Abraham himself learns. Second sign is is Sarah. Abraham's promise from God is that he's going to have a family that's going to be huge, going to be extensive. They're not even going to be able to get together for family reunions because there's going to be so many of them. But at 100 years of age, they find that Sarah can't have kids. And Abraham's got to say, God, I don't understand this. You've given me a promise. I've gone on the journey. And now with that promise, I don't see a way to get there. And God is telling him, well, listen, you'll get there. I promise you. But Abraham feels like he's got a, a better idea. And so he cooks up with Sarah this idea of, 
of taking Hagar on as a, kind of a second wife. And, uh, you know, today we are still feeling the effects of that decision. That family line through which uh, now Islam has come through is still a difficult experience to integrate into life. But Abraham through Sarah begins to understand when God makes a promise, he is going to make it happen. He's going to fulfill it. But Abraham had to be on the journey to begin to understand that. So as we are on this journey, God is calling us to rest on his promises as his people. Because he calls us into his service. He calls us to be his servants, to sit at his gate and to be the sign of the presence and power and the glory of the king of the universe. And that's not a position that we wear as pride. It's a position that we wear as service to the king. And that's how God has called this church, as we see it, to sit at the gates as a servant to the king and say, we know how to obey. We know how to read the signs of God and to wait. And the third sign that Abraham runs into, it's a funny sign, difficult sign. It's a sign of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a holy smoke. God, what are you doing? I don't understand this. But I like to go a little bit deeper into that, that Sodom and Gomorrah scene as God rains fire and brimstone and destroys those cities and thousands of people. And Abraham himself has pled for those people. There's a power of choice that lies behind that. At one point, Abraham and his nephew Lot chose directions. And one said, I'll go to Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham said, well, I'll take the hill country. What if that choice had been different? What if Abraham had said, Lot, that's too difficult for you. Let me bear that piece of work. Might it have been different for Sodom and Gomorrah? We just don't know. But we do know that the power of choice is long-lasting and has deep influence over thousands and thousands of people and so as we're faithful doers we're going to make choices we're going to do that on the basis of faith understanding that our choices have significance for years to come and will influence thousands and thousands of people the final piece to understand from Abraham's story is you just keep going towards the goal. That journey that Abraham was on, it really wasn't a journey to a destination. It was a journey to fulfillment. It was a journey to to fill himself up with the experience of God to the end of his life. God wasn't telling him, Abraham, so you're going to live to be a hundred and, you know, so many years old. And so a hundred of those I want you to give to me and the rest of them, they're going to be yours. 
God doesn't say that. He doesn't say to Abraham, I want you to go and accomplish this. As soon as you accomplish it, you're done and things are good. What God asked Abraham to do is to fill himself up with the experience of God through the entirety of his life. And so Abraham pushed through that. There wasn't a resting place for Abraham. There wasn't a place where he said, we did it. We're done. We've reached the end. Instead, it was always, we have learned, we have experienced, we have gained, we have filled ourselves up with with God and who he is. But yet, God is bigger than what we have experienced, yet let's still push forward. Let's still go to see what else God reveals to himself. And that excitement of being on the journey becomes part of that willingness to fill ourselves up with the experience of God. You as a church have a hundred years of experience behind you. And through that you have shared through many who have already passed on. But you have the, the, uh, the reflections of their life that you get to share and tell the stories of. But up in front of us lies a hundred more years of experience of God. We don't know yet what that experience will be. But if we believe, as Abraham did, that God is there and that God is the one who is bringing the experience of him into our lives, then we are on the most amazing journey that anyone could, anyone could imagine. Is there ever an experience that you could think of that God would say, come, let me show you. Let me let you begin to see me. And it's through the people, and it's through the decisions, it's through the events, it's through the actions that we get to see God in new ways. That he fills us up with his presence. That's what our journey is. It's not to a place, it's not to a destination, but it's to a fulfilling of ourselves. As we go with God and experience him over and over in all these new ways. I tell you, for Gina and I, the thing that we have enjoyed most these last 13 years, working with church planters in Seattle and uh, Portland and L.A. and Boston and just all over the world, is, is the experience of the people that they meet. And to see the hand of God as he reaches into people's lives who will say, I do not believe in God, but there's something about you that I like. And they begin to make that journey themselves. And oftentimes they'll go, I'm never going to believe in God. It's not going to be me. But as they go through that, they begin to see those places. One woman who is very dear to Gina and I. Uh, She is part of the Renovatus Church of Christ in uh, Vancouver, Washington. One of the very first churches that we worked with and we got to be part of the planting team for that church. Arlene's husband was an artist. Uh, He died and She had to close up his business. It just so happened that next door to his business was a family from the Vancouver Church of Christ. 
And they befriended Arlene and helped her through that period of time and that difficulty. Got her settled into a new place. She had to move, and so they helped her find a new place and move there. And they invited her to the Vancouver church, and she went, and she said, well, this is okay. She said, but I've never, be, I've never known God. I don't believe God. And said, I don't see myself here. And they said, but there's a new church that's starting, and it's starting right behind your house at the Mill Plain Elementary School. And she said, okay, thank you. But one Sunday she said, you know, I think I might ought to go visit that church. And so she walks around and goes around the block and comes to the Mill Plain Elementary School and meets the people at Renovatus. And pretty soon she's in a, a house church with, uh, that, meets at our, that met at our house at the time. And Arlene kept saying, well, you know, I've never known God. I don't believe in God. I've never seen God. He's never been in my life. And then one Sunday evening, our worship was at Sunday evenings like Longhorns for Christ is. And, and one Sunday evening, we're looking over at Arlene and she's got her hands in the air and she is singing at the top of her lungs and tears are just flowing down her face. And Gina goes up to her and she says, what's wrong Arlene? And she says, I see God. I see God in my life. And from the age of 13, she started to tell Gina all the points in her life that she now could see God at work. You talk about someone who could say, I was blind, but now I see. Arlene saw God. It still took her a few years to come to the point of baptism. We, we'd talk with her and we'd ask her two or three times a year. I'd say, Arlene, so how you doing? You ready to be baptized? No, not yet. She went down to bury her mother in Las Vegas. A few women from the church went down to help her. She called Gina from Las Vegas and she said, I'm ready. When I come back... I want to be baptized. We still don't know what happened. But Arlene was on the journey into the heart of God. And to let God fill her. And on December 31st of that year, she was baptized. There's so much of her journey that's like Abraham's. That's our journey. And Gina and I want to call you to be with us, to be faithful doers in the journey of God. You've got a great leadership team. You've got a wonderful history. Let's go into the future as faithful doers. If there's anyone who has a need to make expression of, this is the time to do that. There's going to be prayer in the chapel. If there's any other kind of need that needs to be taken care of, let's do that now. So let's stand and let's sing together. And let's encourage each other to be faithful doers in the kingdom of God.